So we want to take uh, today to talk a little bit about Joseph, and then next week Jackson uh, will uh, talk to us uh, from the wise men, uh, both of those uh, stories coming out of Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. Um, Our scripture reading today is from Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 18 to 22. Uh, This is how Matthew records the birth of Jesus. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophets. Christmas is the, uh, is the culmination of a plan that God the Father has been working on since Genesis chapter 3. Part of, 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 the, of Genesis chapter 3, the response to the entry of sin into God's good creation, is the promise that the offspring of the woman will crush the serpent's head. And so God the Father has put in place almost immediately as sin entered the world, God began the plan to redeem the world. And and Jesus' birth is the is the you know it, it brings the plan now to actual operation. There's all this planning and, and, and work on it up throughout the Old Testament then the, the, this promise that God is going to uh, bring about the redemption of his creation is constantly sort of being worked at and hinted at. And so in Second Samuel chapter 7, uh, when uh, God speaks out his covenant to David, he says to David, your throne will be established forever. He says, your throne is not going to be like Saul's. It's going to be as Saul's, Saul's kingdom lasted exactly one generation. But the promise to David is that his throne will be established forever. And so that's part of this plan, is to say that the coming Messiah is coming, is going to be a, a descendant of David. It's something, he's, he's going to be in that family. And then, so that, that David uh, lives about... 1000 BC, uh, so before before the birth of Christ, and then about 300 years later, in the through the prophet Micah, God promises that that the Messiah will be born in this insignificant little town of Bethlehem. It, that's that's in Micah chapter five, and so there's much to be said, but those two things in particular, Matthew picks up on this promise that. The Messiah is going to be in the lineage of David, and he will be born in Bethlehem. And so he, God, as the birth of Christ, is, as the time for that to, to happen draws near, God comes and involves Joseph and Mary into this very specific plan. 
He comes to these very specific individuals and invites them to join him. So we, we know the story of Mary and the angel coming to her and saying, Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. So you see that thread being picked up again in the angel's announcement uh, to, to Mary. Joseph is, is the person I want us to focus on a bit this morning. He lives in Galilee, which is a small, insignificant place, even in terms of Palestine. In terms of the Roman Empire, it's absolutely nothing. But even in terms of the Israelites, Galilee is up north on the other side of Samaria. It's, not, it's, it's a long way from the center of Jerusalem and the temple. And so it's really a, a backwater. It has nothing of significance. Um, the, the other major center in, in that part of the world in terms of the Roman Empire was Caesarea Philippi, which is a Roman town further north, and then Jerusalem. We're switching you. Okay. You don't have a, a volume setting on there, no. do you? No. Okay. All right. Are we like that better? Are we good? Are we getting any voice? He's turning knobs. He's got his finger up. He's shaking his head. All right. All right. People are happy. So, as I was saying, Galilee is this very insignificant place. Nobody knows about it. Nobody really cares. The people in Jerusalem, it doesn't matter to them. certainly doesn't matter to the Roman Empire. And Joseph is a pretty simple, practical guy. He's a carpenter. And he has pretty reasonable, norm, sort of average kind of expectations. He wants to pursue his trade. He wants to marry uh, his fiancée. And he wants to have a family. And it appears, at least from Matthew's account that he's a principled, fair-minded, devout kind of guy. He's, he wants to, uh, he wants to, he wants the, the principle of the sanctity of marriage and that Mary's now pregnant throws him for a loop. He, he doesn't know how to fit together that reality with his uh, commitment to the principles of, of the Old Testament around adultery and those kinds of things. He doesn't want to mistreat her, but he, he's caught between uh, his, his understanding of the Old Testament law and being faithful to God in that regard, but also being fair and, and reasonable with Mary. And it's into that kind of a person that God, God's plan now is injected or overlaid into Joseph's life. And Joseph is asked... In Matthew chapter 1, he's really asked to do two things in his calling. He's asked, first of all, uh, God, or the angel tells him, are we an angel now or is this the dream? Uh, in a dream, God tells him in a dream that he is to marry Mary. He's to continue to be a husband to Mary and he's to name the child. Jesus. Naming the child means standing in his place as the father of that child. So it's interesting to me that Joseph's calling is not radically different than what he was desiring to do. This is 
It's just, it's just, he's to be a husband to Mary, even though things don't look quite right. And he's to be a father to a child that's not his. But, but his desire to be husband and father was still, that was still in him from the beginning. And so it's, it's important for us to recognize that that's what God asks him to do. And what fascinates me is God, God doesn't say in the dream, oh, and by the way, as husband and father, I made this promise 700 years ago that this kid is supposed to be in Bethlehem. So you need to figure out how to get yourself and Mary there at the right time. I think this is where we often get it wrong. We, we hear God's calling and we tend to take on more than God expects us to take on. God is not asking Joseph to be responsible for all of the messianic promises. He is only asking him to be a father and a husband. And then the thing that started me down this road was that the journey to Bethlehem is precipitated by a decree. So when we move over to Luke chapter 2, it, we all know these, these opening verses, the, or this opening phrase, a decree went out from Caesar that all the world should be registered. And that really struck a chord with me because we've been living for the last nine months with this ongoing, a decree went out and then our lives all changed. Caesar Augustus is the first emperor of Rome. And so he has authority over the entire known world. It's Caesar that sort of brings this uh, consistent, uh, relatively stable government or uh, rule over that entire world. And so when he says something, that entire, it, he, has, he, has, he has this enormous authority and power. It goes out to that entire world and everybody follows it. It's, it's a decree that goes out to everyone and it has no uh, notice or care or compassion for individual circumstances. Uh, there's no exceptions. There's no sort of sense, well, if you can't make it to your hometown, you could send in a mail or anything like that. It's, no, this is how this is going to work. You're going to do it. It's going to be done by this time. And at least in the, in, in, uh, in the uh, Jewish world, that meant they had to go back to the town of their familial town. So for Joseph, that means going back to Bethlehem. Not only is the decree arbitrary and ruthless and uncaring, but it's for taxation. It's not just a census. It's connected in some way to taxes. So you're, you're and there's no uh, Canada emergency response benefit in this world. Everybody has to, at least in the Jewish world, has to figure out how they're going to get themselves back. So he has to stop his employment. He's got to go back to Bethlehem, and he's got to, and he's now going with. His, his, his wife who's ready to give birth. I am fascinated that God 
is using this kind of arbitrary, uncaring, Caesar has no idea that he's making a carpenter and his fiancée travel from Galilee down to Bethlehem. Doesn't care. All he wants is money. God is using that ruthless, arbitrary, ridiculous request to ensure that, that the promise he made through the prophet Micah will be fulfilled. And that Jesus' birth, even though he, he grows up in Nazareth, his birth, in fact, is in Bethlehem as promised. So some observations or considerations. The first question I have is, who is actually in control? Whose power is being exercised? So from a historic or uh, just a reading of the, of the passages, it would appear that the, the most powerful person in this picture is Caesar. He's the one who can decide, I'm short on cash, let's get everybody registered and up the taxes. That's the most obvious and clear exercise of power. It's fascinating to me that, that God is going to begin to, to in, inaugurate his kingdom through the birth of a baby. So there's a real contrast between Caesar's absolute authoritarian power and the, the, the creator of the universe coming as a baby. And that the exercise of God's power and his purpose is, is relatively unseen or unexpected. Now it's not that God can't come with glory and power and, and uh, part of what we looked at in Advent or what we were remembering in Advent is that his second coming is different than his first. The other thing that I notice about power is that Joseph is not expected or required to be in control. He, his life is being managed for him by forces far beyond him, and it's okay. He is not, this is not a threat to him or to his calling. It is in fact God working through those circumstances to, to forward his calling to be a husband and a father. It strikes me that the true purpose of events or why things are taking place is not, you can't see it at first sight. It's, it's, you, have to, you have to discern what's really going on. That it's not that that the events that Caesar initiates by his decree is not primarily about taxation. That's not the most significant thing. What's the most significant thing is that God is a man who is faithful to his promise. And he's going to ensure that this very clear uh, prophetic um, indicator of who's the Messiah, that he's He's, he's, he's born with, from David's family and born in David's town, that those two things happen. And I am struck, again, 
by how much more limited Joseph's responsibility is than I expect. That, that we must pay attention to what it is that God asked us to do. We, we tend to uh, allow God, our callings to inflate, I think. And we, and we think out of our deep desire to pursue God well, we end up taking on more than God expects us to do. And I wonder if that's why we, ha- we see this increase in anxiety. Because we've, we're, we're trying to hold a whole bunch of things that we're never meant to hold. And so it starts to feel shaky. And, and, we're, and we're frustrated. And we're not sure how we're going to get it all accomplished. And God's saying, uh, I'm still here. I didn't ask you to pick that up. God is perfectly prepared and willing to function within the context of humanity and, and, and world events. He's perfect. He doesn't need to override them. Of course, in his second coming, he's going to... It looks different. He's coming in... The, the, the biblical picture would be him coming in judgment. But right now, he has chosen to work within this sphere. Through us, through these world events. He's, and he's just as at work in those things as he would be if he came in his rightful place as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then finally, what I notice, it's easier to notice what God's up to looking back than looking forward. That I don't think Joseph got all of this in the moment. That, it, that, it's, that, it's, that it's our privilege looking back that we say, oh yeah, see, relax, it's not a big deal. Everything's going to be good. And so it will take... Um, If we're going to, if we are like Joseph, if we are also called to participate in what God wants to do in this little insignificant town of Cumberland, the small little one, the forgotten one in the valley, not so much anymore, but at one point, that that it will take a very intentional and, and a prayerful discernment on our part about what is God up to. What is God up to in the midst of, of decrees from Dr. Bonnie Henry? What is God up to in a society that continues to move further and further away from uh, uh, what, what we would call biblical and uh, morality and, and ways of living? What would we do in a world in which the place of the church has become questionable or uh, irrelevant for the most part? What is God up to? And that we must discern this well. So a couple of things that strike me then about discerning what God is up to. First of all, God does not put a plan in action and then depart from it and start over. He's a very consistent God. And for the most part, he's, he's, never, he's, he's not one to abandon a plan halfway. And so he said he's going to build his church. 
He's promised that he's going to complete the work he started in you. What's he been building in you? He's not... When it, if it feels like he's made a sharp left, you might have got something wrong. I'm not saying God can't lead us sharply in a different direction. But in the main, it's still toward the end that he, that he spoke to us about. We need to be very diligent to be clear about what it is that God has said to us. And though that takes, I think, some training. It takes the discernment of a community. And so we don't take Brett's word for it. For it, When he says, I think I'm called to be a deacon. We discern it together as a community. And we say, and we, we, we listen to what he feels God is saying to him internally, but then we confirm it as his community externally. It it's, it's takes some time for us to do that and to do that well. And then the other thing that seems helpful to me is that grace, the, the mercy and the working of God is only available in my present. God's grace is only available in the present. That's the only, if I want to be in the midst of what God is doing, it's, it's in the now. It's not in a regretful consideration of the past. In the past, God gives me forgiveness. And it's not, it's not, it's God's grace is not available to me in a, some future place. When I get to that thing, when I get this accomplished, then God's grace is going to be available. No, what's available to me in the future is trust or faith. That, when I think about the future, it's faith that must be applied. But it's in this very moment. It's right now where God is at work. And if I'm going to notice it, I have to... Um, I, my picture has been I need to look down more. I need to be... You know, it's sort of like standing in a, in a dark room with just a spotlight that's just sort of over top of me. It's that, that's the light that God gives me. And I'm not actually responsible to know how the light, I'm responsible to stay there in a, in a place of uh, trustful reliance and faithful obedience to what he's asked me to do right now. That's a good place. That's a, that's, I'm finding a simpler place. And, um, and there has been increased freedom for me in, um, assuming that I've, how I got here doesn't matter. I'm here now. And where I'm going from here, is not really up to me. And it's, it's that I'm really here. And, and I feel like that's what Joseph did. In front of him was a young, pregnant, I would imagine at many points, fearful woman that needed a husband and someone to stand with her. And in a, and in a short time, there was going to be a son that required a father and someone to name him and take him to the temple and teach him the things of God. It's a, it's a very present 
peace that he is asked to hold. And so what, what is it that God has been, in what way is God inviting your participation in what he's doing? What's in your present right now? And what is he calling you to in that?